0: Let me uh, just say a word to parents and to those who don't have kids. (laughs) The first thing for those who don't have kids, who might, um, because there was a time that Christy and I didn't, we know people might think this, man, they ought to get those kids under control. Um, Your time is coming. (laughs) So have some grace. And those of you with parents need to know that we've got a lot of grace for those with young. So um, don't fret over distractions. Kids are not distractions, they're kids. And um, Jesus loved the little children and we do too, so we're not worried about some noise. Um, We trust that those who are here recognize the importance of what we're engaging. So whether we're at the park with kids being noisy or whether we're in our sanctuary with little ones in a nursery, that uh, we're still hearing the words of life. So um, we can move beyond that. If you're a parent, you know how to tune that out anyway. And if you're not, remember your time is coming, so you'll, you'll learn someday. <clears throat> we're in John chapter 15 this morning, uh, so go ahead and turn there if you would. If you're from uh, the neighborhood around here and received an invitation, I think we might have some folks out here. I haven't had a chance to meet anybody from the area yet, but I want to just welcome you let you know we're glad that you're here. Um, we're not doing anything special this morning other than what we do every week, and that's gather and enjoy the Lord out loud in song and in fellowship uh, in the Lord's Supper, and we eat the Word. We eat a message. Uh, so we're, we're just mobilizing exactly what we do on the, nor- on the south side of town today on the north side of town. So we're glad you're here. We're in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. We were introduced to this little paragraph last week and drew out two things that are characteristic of friends of God. The first being that friends of God love others as they've been loved. When you really learn how you've been loved, then you're gonna be ravaged by that. You're going to be scandalized by that, and it's going to modify how you love others. Because the natural impulse is to love the lovable, love those who are worthy of your effort. But we look at how God loved us, and we realize that He loved His enemy and He made Him His friends. That changes the way you love others. Love is um, boundless if we're to love as He's loved us, because He loved us to the cross. But it's also not stupid. It's boundless, but not stupid. God still calls those to repentance. Love does not equal tolerance. Two very different things. Love still calls people to repent. Secondly, we learn that friends of God are in on what he's up to. Remember the story where Abraham is brought to the heights, over, looking down over the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God, in some way, we don't know whether he's speaking to his companions or he's speaking to himself. He says, you know what, I'm going to let Abraham in on what I'm about to do. Because he's mine. He's my friend. So he shares with Abraham what's in store. And he lets us as his friends in on the plan of his future return and a future judgment on a worldwide Sodom. 1 Thessalonians 5 is like the people of God standing on the heights, overlooking the valley of the world. And God saying, I'm coming back. And judgment is coming. And preach repentance and um, be ready. It should change the way we live, knowing we're that kind of friend, that he's opened up that sort of information and revelation to us. Today we're going to consider just the third thing, that's characteristic of his friends, that we were chosen for this relationship. We were chosen to be his friend, and that we are appointed to go bear fruit. We're looking at those really in one Sunday as kind of one thing that's true about friends. We're going to break it down in two parts. But I want to focus primarily on verse 16. I'm going to read it again. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. It's helpful to remember context every time you're reading a passage. In John chapter 15, the context is the night before he's crucified. And he's speaking with, as you hopefully remember, he's speaking with the 11. At this point, Judas has left the table. He's speaking with his 11 disciples. And he's saying to them, remember guys, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Here's what that looked like three years earlier. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zeb, their father. Mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. When Jesus is reminding these 11 that I chose you, you didn't choose me, he's reminding them of what happened three years earlier, and it looked just like what we just read. You remember when I chose you guys? And they may have recalled the ones who were casting their nets, Peter. See, I remember that day. I was trying to haul in a load of fish and provide for myself as a way of means of living. But Jesus came by and called me and I followed him immediately. They might remember being in the boat with their pop, Zeb, fishing or mending nets. Where Jesus came along the shore and said, you follow me. They would have remembered that time. Some might have remembered the day that they were skimming off the top as a tax collector. As they're in cahoots with Rome. Not a friend of a Jew and not a friend of Rome. But as a tax collector skimming off the top. And Jesus said, you follow me. Jesus wanted to remind these guys that he chose them. They didn't choose him. This was interesting because the culture in that time was a time where you chose your teacher. The same would be true for people that go into graduate studies or higher level studies right now, they may decide who they want to go study under. Paul is a great example of a man who did this very thing. Paul, it seems, studied under a man named Gamaliel, a famous Jewish teacher. And Paul likely sought this guy out as his teacher. So let's contrast Paul. Let's use Paul as a contrast to understand the difference between choosing your teacher as Paul did Gamaliel and what God does with his friends Listen to this passage from Acts chapter 9. Don't turn there, just listen. I have a few places I want you to turn this morning, and I'll let you know when I want you to go there. Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, Saul who studied under Gamaliel. That's the, ch- the, the teacher he chose. He's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and the teacher found him. The teacher, the one that says, remember I chose you on the eve of his death, later chooses Saul. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. God chose his enemy right here, who's conspiring to murder his followers. God chose his enemy and made him his friend. That's what God does. He did it with his disciples. He did it with Saul later, Paul. Hopefully you remember the story from last week of Abraham. Let me just read an excerpt from there. Now reading it in view of him choosing his friends. He's looking over the heights. He's on the heights over Sodom. And he's looking down on the valley. And he says, Shall I hide from Abraham, my friend, what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. For I have chosen him. I cannot imagine that on the night that Jesus sat with his eleven. And he shared these words. I chose you. You didn't choose me. I'm your friend through what's about to happen tomorrow. That he wasn't thinking back to this conversation that he had with Abraham 2,000 years earlier, 4,000 years earlier than now. That he's not thinking about that moment like it was yesterday for him. He says, I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. It's important to see the order too. He called Abraham his friend. He said, I'm going to reveal to him what I've shown to him. Or I'm going to show him what I'm... I'm going to reveal to him what's in store. I'm choosing him to be my friend. And the grounds for sharing these details is his relationship with Abraham, not Abraham's righteousness. Look at the order. I've chosen him that he may command his children, his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. It doesn't say, by doing righteousness and justice, I'm going to choose him. That's so important. He's chosen for righteousness and justice. Abraham wasn't righteous and just before he's chosen by God. God chose him, chose his enemy, and made him his friend. Deuteronomy has a series of passages in it that have to deal, have to deal with Israel being chosen friendship, listen, listen to these short excerpts. Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. God wanted to remind Israel that they were chosen. He wanted to remind his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion that they were chosen. And here on the, in the park in 2010 on the north side of Greenville, he wants to remind his people that they too were chosen. There's a treasure in knowing this. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people. You could say, Abraham, it's not because you were righteous or just. Say, Ben McGraw, it's not because you were special or anything special about you that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. It was not because you as a fisherman, Peter, were special. Were special. It's not because you, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, had anything special about you. It's but that God set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. You are an insignificant lot. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. God chooses his friends because he can, because he's God. That's what he did with Israel. Now, here's a passage I do want you to look at, Ephesians chapter 1. There's a potential, having looked at Abraham, having looked at the 11 disciples, having looked at Saul, later Paul, that you might think, you know, these guys were chosen for specific things, I can agree with them being chosen because they were disciples. I can agree with Abraham being chosen because he's like the father of the faith. I can agree with Saul being chosen because God's going to use him in a very unique way. Now that same Saul, later Paul, wrote a letter to a church. A church that was very different from us, but a church nonetheless. The church at Ephesus 2,000 years ago received this letter from Paul with these words. In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us, He predetermined that's going to be my friend. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, not yours. According to the purpose of His will, He chose the eleven, the motley crew, fishermen and tax collectors, according to His will, not theirs. Who chose who? He chose them. He chose Saul, later Paul. He chose us. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. He created a new people in you. He took a bunch of enemies and He made you, us, His friends. It was His choice. He predetermined that. He predestined that. God doing this should really add a note of gravity to what it means to follow him. To know that you were chosen for something should add a note of gravity to what you're about. If you think you chose him, it's easy to be lukewarm about it. It's easy to be mediocre and just exist. But realizing that God chose you before you ever took a breath adds a note of gravity to it. It adds a note of gravity to the faith when you realize that you were chosen to be his friend. The Second thing I want us to see this morning is that we were chosen to be his friend and we were appointed to go and bear fruit. There's a word that's used over and over again in the book of John. <clears throat> it's a word appointed, but it's translated differently. I'm going to read a few of these passages. You don't need to read. I want to read with me. I want you to just listen though. These passages are going to help you understand the nature of your appointment as a friend of God. John chapter 10 verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's translated there as the word lay down. It's the same word that's here in John chapter 15 for appointed This could read, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd appoints his life for the sheep. And this is what he says, you guys are. You, my eleven, are appointed. It's no accident that he uses that word, and he uses it over and over again. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down or appoint my life for the sheep For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I appoint it, I lay it down of my own accord. It's used in John chapter 10 verse 11, chapter chapter 10 verse 15, verse 17, verse 18, chapter 13 verse 38, chapter 15 verse 13, chapter 19 verse 41, chapter 19 verse 42. That may just seem like... Uh, academic anomaly to us, but to people who walked with him for three years, who heard this word used over and over and over again. And he says this about them. And every time he refers to it, he's referring to his cross. Should add a note of gravity too, to what it means to be appointed. That as his friends, we are appointed for death. As his friends, we are appointed to bear a cross. Appointed. As his friends, we are appointed to lose our lives for his sake. Sound familiar? As his friends, we are appointed to suffer. There's a a word in this passage here in verse 16 that's so important. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Sometimes people wonder why I don't encourage the NIV. I I don't encourage the NIV because it takes away important words like that. That matters. In the Greek, it's called a henna clause. It could be translated, so that you have been appointed so that you should go and bear fruit. You've been appointed for a purpose. It's a purpose clause. You want to know what your purpose in life is? There it is. That's why you've been chosen to be his friend. That's why you've been appointed. You've been appointed to go and bear fruit. The reference that he uses here for, to, with these 11 is a reference to their work of taking the good news to those who didn't know him. You're appointed for that. It's not optional. It's not a maybe. It's what you were made for. It's what you were recreated for. You're pointed to go and bear fruit. And the fruit would be that lost sheep would hear the shepherd's voice and follow him when you would share the good news of Jesus Christ. Like he sought them out as they're just off fishing. As they're sitting in a boat with their pop. As he sought them out when they're manning a tax collector booth. As he sought them out when they're on the road to Damascus. We seek others out with this good news. That's bearing fruit when we make friends that way. And we make friends with good news. That's what we're doing today here in Greenville on the north side of town in Grand Park. It's a whole lot cooler. A whole lot less distractions over there on the south side of town in our building. But man, we're leaving that building to step away, at least periodically, to remind ourselves that we were appointed to go. And that's what we're doing today. That's what we did Wednesday when we passed out flyers in the neighborhood surrounding this park. That's what we'll do out here in the coming Wednesday nights. While we enjoy Christ out loud, we're going. And we're going for a purpose. We're going because we've been appointed to go. As I consider seven years of Crosspoint in Greenville, and as, as I consider a couple years of us doing this, mobile worship, I want to share with you that I'm not satisfied with where we are. I'm not satisfied, and I hope you're not either. Our union with Jesus can never become a comfortable, exclusive huddle. The Trinity is one seriously satisfied unity of three persons. You know what? They don't need us to be happy and content and satisfied. They're inter-involved, inter-penetrating, inter perichoretically involved in each other, Father, Son, and Spirit. They didn't create creation because they needed us. They're super satisfied in and of themselves. And you know what? I see that in Crosspoint. I see a bunch of people that love each other, man, in a quality way, interpenetrating, interinvolved, inter-involved, interconnected, perichoretically enjoying each other. But like the Trinity, thankfully, the Father reaches out and down, And draws us into this relationship with him. And that's got to be the nature of the church. Reaching outward and downward and overward, and upward all the time because we were appointed to go. That's who we are. It's what we were made for. As I consider seven years in Greenville, I'm not satisfied. But I do celebrate fruit. And I'm looking at fruit right now. The families that are here, the families that are traveling this weekend, all the faces, all the people that we're walking with are fruit. And there's some fruit that's come from seeds that Crosspoint has sown, but most of you have come from seeds that someone else sowed. Really. Pastors. Moms and dads that you grew up with in the faith. Friends that were faithful to share with you, and we're reaping their harvest and enjoying their harvest right now. My burden that I'm reminded of in passages like this is that we have an opportunity to sow for tomorrow's church. Or someone may gather in a park in Greenville decades from now and think back on y'all sowing in their lives. Think back on Crosspoint in 2010, sowing maybe in the north side of Greenville. I'm not satisfied. I look at this north side of Greenville and this is I don't know, probably the fifth mobile worship that we've had on this side of town. And we don't have a large number of people here joining us for corporate worship. But I'm reminded that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Someone reminded me this week, it's a sweet reminder that church people count attendance, kingdom people count who's not there. Kingdom people are burdened for who's not there. The people that we met on Wednesday, the people that came around yesterday, we're burdened for just to have a presence. So we're sowing just being here today. And it's tiny little mustard seeds. But we're sowing. And we're trusting the God of the garden that he'll do something with it in his time. We're sowing because we were appointed to go. Chosen for friendship and appointed to go. That's who we are. Let me pray. I want to pray for a church on the north side of town here, North Baptist Church. I want to pray for the people of God at Cross Point. I want to pray for fathers, husbands, mothers, single moms, shepherds, basically folks that are leading families, that we will engage this, realizing that we were chosen to be friends and that we were appointed to go. Your go might be your cubicle that you work in. It might be the warehouse where you work. Your go may be the neighbors across the street that you've been burdened to have to your house for dinner. Your go may be the the woman's pregnancy clinic. Working there and sharing Christ with people that are in a moment of crisis. But your go must be go because you were appointed to it. That's what I'm going to pray for. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, in prayer... We want to pray for a fellow, a sister church here on this, side of, on this side of town, North Baptist Church. We want to pray for Kelly Reagan and pray for his marriage. Well, I, Actually, Lord, I first want to pray for his worship. I pray that he's enjoying you, that he's satisfied with you, that he's ravaged by the amazing truth that he's been made friends with you through the work of the cross. I pray that that invades his marriage and his family his home and environment, that his wife and kids see what the gospel looks like by the way he loves them. Lord, I pray that it fills his time in pastoring and preaching and it spills over onto a people where a people too are ravaged by that reality. And Lord, I pray for this church on this side of town that they will have opportunity to connect with people in this community. They'll have the opportunity to love them with the gospel. Lord, I pray that in whatever way possible that we can come alongside this church, whether it's an official way or just this morning, praying for them, burdened for them, pray that your name will be famous and enjoyed and renowned in North Baptist Church and through North Baptist Church. Lord, I pray for cross-point fellowship for those who are walking with the body, for those who are visiting with this body this morning. Lord, I pray that we will just be amazed by this reality that you've taken your enemies who were not righteous and were not just and you've reckoned them righteous and just through the finished work of Christ and you've made us your friends. Lord, I pray that we will be amazed by the reality that, that you chose us before we ever took a breath. That we were appointed for this hour and that we were appointed to go. Lord, I pray that it will add a note of gravity to our engaging our neighbors. A note of gravity to our engaging our workmates, our family members, our friends, with just out loud worship. Lord, we are so amazed by your grace and your gospel and your story. We're so thankful this morning for the chance to enjoy you in the park. Thankful for a breeze that we can feel against our face, breath that we can take in, words that we can communicate, thoughts that we can think about you, hands that turn pages, of truth, we are swimming in your blessings, we are grateful, we enjoy you now in worship through the supper, in Christ's name we pray, amen. We're going to have a Lord's Supper now, and um, what we're going to do as families are as, um, if you're here as a single person, I want you to jump in with a family, if you're a family and you see somebody that's by themselves this morning, grab them up. And come up to two tables, one over here and one over here that have the elements. I'd uh, like for the shepherd of the family, if it's a single mom or a father or a whoever that might be, for you to lead your family in taking the elements together. Lead them in prayer. sharing your gratitude for the finished work of the cross. Sharing, sharing your satisfaction with our being His friend. And let's uh, continue in worship through the supper. The offering plates are on the table, too, so you can worship and giving at that point. God, thank you so much for the time that we've had together in the park today. So far, uh, we look forward to enjoying each other in fellowship over a meal. I pray your blessings over the meal. I um, uh, just to ask that you'll just be enjoyed uh, as we continue to enjoy a pretty day out here. We love you, Lord. Uh, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.